0: Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot BacksideGroundBalls. <laughs> by Riverside.
1: Welcome back to episode 95 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. I am not your usual host. I am in the captain's chair today. My name is Dan Galati. We got the usual crew here. Trevor Powers, producer Phoebe, Trev. It's the eve of getaway day. You're getting ready to head up to the concrete jungle, New York, then the beach. You got a July where you got a lot of fun things happening. How you feel today?
0: I feel good. I'm excited. I'm excited to get on the road and and get away from work for a little bit and you know and I'm gonna enjoy that.
1: Bags packed.
0: No, not yet. That's why we're getting on here early on this fine
1: Thursday. Yeah, I'm a I'm a last minute packer as well. Packing is one of my least favorite things to do in the world. In the entire world. I believe I, it. I would rather do anything else other than packing. It takes me for and I never know, I can for some reason my brain doesn't work in a way where it's like I'm going away for 6 days. So I need this many I just, I just don't know. I like freeze. I get I get down to doing the task. I finally get up the urge to do it, and I just never know what I need. I always end up without something or with too much of something. Um, so good luck tonight when you uh, attack that. We have more important things to talk about uh, than your vacation to New York, um, the draft. The draft. We are on the brink of the Major League Baseball draft, which is coming up during the All Star break, which starts Sunday night, and. We're going to get into it, and Trevor is our draft expert here on the Backside Ground Balls pod. That's why I'm hosting tonight, so we're going to dive into a bunch of different topics. We're going to break down a bunch of the names that you're going to hear drafted that your favorite team might have in their system here come the end of next week. Um, but first, Trevor, here's a little draft trivia. When I was doing some prep from this, I was looking at some past drafts. I was learning about some of these guys we're going to talk about today, and I came across something that... May or may not be a fun trivia question, but my brain thought it was. So there is currently – so think back. The last 10 drafts, okay, there is currently um, teammates on the current organization who are drafted first and second overall. Byron on their Bucks respective- and Carlos Correa. That's so stupid that you know that that quickly. That's, that's <laughs> why you're our draft expert, I guess. I appreciate that. Uh, you didn't let me finish the question, which kind of ruins the content, but that's all right. We'll move on and we'll get right into it. Um, so the top of this, as always, you know, the top of drafts are always interesting because I think teams posture and there's you know 150 different mock drafts out there of who's going to go where. But to me, and, and I think you might be in agreement with this, there's a, a clear three from the college level that have a chance to go 1-1 overall. For those who don't know, the Pirates have the first overall pick uh, this year. Nationals are at two, and Tigers are at three. But let's talk about the first overall pick first. Let's start with the Pirates and what they're going to do because I think it's an interesting case because you have three guys: Paul Skeens, obviously the pitcher from LSU; Dylan Cruz, the outfielder from LSU; and Wyatt Langford from uh, the University of Florida. All guys who you could make a strong case, I think, for going one-one. And lately, especially because of the big stage that that's all these guys just played on, but Paul Skeen specifically, um, especially if you anyone here follows ESPN, they're writing, they're announcing all their coverage, right? I think it's fair to say that they have really kind of ballooned Paul Skeens, and you're starting to hear a lot of things about him going 1-1. How do you kind of see it shaking out? And what do you kind of, how do you feel about 1-1 and, and Skeen's going
0: 1-1? Yeah, I think that, First off, I always like when we talk about draft and MLB draft specifically, you always have to preface the fact that signing bonuses change things. Um, and there is a lot of thought that goes into it. You look at the Houston Astros slash Baltimore Orioles model over the course of the last 10 years uh, since those guys have been in front offices. And a lot of it is getting that top draft pick at an slot value And being able to use that money and spread it across the draft and get guys in the compensation round or second and even third round that have a lot more talent, first round high school players, something like that, that have a high ask, whatever it is, and try to get those guys into your organization. So this is not as cut and dry as the NFL, the NBA, where it's a surefire top end talent guy going number one. The other thing with this draft is the fact that all three of these guys would go number one in any other year. Um, I think as we look back at the number one overall picks of recent memory, um, obviously Jackson Holliday is a guy that I'm super high on, but in terms of draft profile, you get a safe college bat. and Dylan Cruz, who proved it in the in the SEC over three years, it's a little different than what we saw with Jackson Holiday, right? Henry Davis is a guy who obviously plays a premium position, but was an underslot value guy. So the Pirates went there, and we've seen the Pirates trends kind of go with the underslot value, be able to spread their bonus around. You saw it in the 2021 draft where they were able to get Lonnie White later. They signed him out of a Penn State football commit, um, and then they were also able to get, um, drawn a blank, on his name, but a really athletic kid that was supposed to go to Clemson for baseball and football, and they signed both them for overslot. So with all that being said, I think that in terms of the talent alone, it might not be straightforward. The most talented guy goes number one. I think whoever doesn't go number one, I think there's a guaranteed at who goes number two. I think the Nationals first Pick at number two doesn't go beyond Skeens or Cruz. If Skeens is there, they're taking Skeens. If Cruz is there, they're taking Cruz. Now, the wrinkle in all that would be if Langford goes one which I do think that there are some people and myself included that think he might have the highest ceiling of the group, that he might be the combination of safe and ceiling that you're looking for. He's obviously a physically gifted guy, has a lot of speed, tons of power. You could argue almost more consistent in-game power than Dylan Cruz this year. Um, So if you want that kind of mix and you can get him for underslot, I could see the pirates going there, but there's a lot of helium for skeins and the reason why is because Dylan Cruz is asking for, Overslot for 1-1. One, one. He's asking for 9 plus million at this point in time and the Pirates just don't think that's feasible to get their Overall haul that they're looking for, so they're they're deviating and they're talking a lot about Max Clark, who's who we talk about in the top five, who would go under slot under the the slot value of what I believe is a roughly around eight point five million as it stands right now, and then also Paul Skeens, who would accept probably closer to slot. So it's looking like the Skeens one one is picking up a lot of steam for that reason. I don't know if that's Cruz's way of uh, trying to parlay himself into DC or even another organization that in the top five um, you can kind of manipulate your ask to get further down the board if you want to but there's a reason why their skeins heal him and it's mostly because of Cruz's asking price
1: yeah I saw the Cruz wanting to be in DC thing and and again you don't it's hard to almost trust the information that comes out especially this close to the draft because you don't know if it's teams posturing you don't know what's what's going on um, so kind of setting that aside isn't it is it almost better to not have the number one pick in a draft like this, just to be like, okay, well they they like I'd almost want to be two or three, or or even two probably because it's like, all right, they took this guy now like now it narrows me down to 50-50, and it's like I can't you know my chance of picking the wrong one is at fifty fifty. There was nothing I could do. The Pirates took this guy. If I'm the Nationals, okay, I had let's say you know Skeens and Langford on the board. Now we can make our decision based off that. Is that fair? <laughs>
0: I mean it makes your job easier Um, you eliminate one hard decision that you have to make and I I think if we look past it at the past number one overall picks. There's a lot of people that probably argue right. they'd want number two, right? Because of the the pondering of underslot, overslot, value, all the things like that. I mean, Spencer Torkelson was the 2020 consensus. It wasn't even really a question. Henry Davis was a was a surefire um number one overall pick in 21. And Jackson Holiday was the creative one. And obviously he's the best of the three as it stands right now in terms of value. This draft has more guys that are closer to the Adley Rutschmans of the world, so you can't go wrong, whereas Henry Davis obviously was a a catcher, and and catchers bring more value than what we see on paper um, in terms of their ability to catch and and play defense and impact the game that way, but Spencer Torkelson was a surefire as well, and – The profile just hasn't translated really to the major leagues. He was a fine minor leaguer. So, yeah, it definitely does. It makes that decision a little bit easier. If you believe in all three of them, it's just one less decision you have to stress about being number one overall because you don't want to miss a number one overall pick. Um, I think that's what keeps you up at night is having that opportunity and we've seen that MLB organizations don't necessarily need number one overall picks uh, to be successful. The Dodgers and Rays they have good farm systems and good MLB teams the Royals and Athletics they have bad farm systems and bad MLB teams. It's not exactly an exact science of being picking at the top and you develop MLB organizations into, into winners. So I think there's definitely an argument to be made that you'd almost rather be maybe even in that three, four, five range where it it's even easier
1: yeah i think i i think you'd want to stay in the top three in this year just because getting one of those three players like i think they all kind of profiles elite and the other two we'll talk about here in a second but um i also real quick just comes to mind of those drafts about getting two rather having two than one mark appell and chris bryant right like (laughs) you'd probably rather have chris bryant i know he hasn't been um, great of late, but let's be honest, Chris Bryant's been a very, very good big leaguer. Um, and well, it's still even, a good I mean, big ligger.
0: Even get into that of like, that's the reality of pitchers, right? And we don't have to go right. down this long diatribe. We have all summer as we talk about these guys to, to talk about that, but you want to talk about avoiding the catastrophic, you know, result and pitchers have that more variance, right? Sure, the ceiling of Paul Skeens, if he does reach the the, you know, Garrett Cole, Steven Strasberg level, David Price level that we've seen from college arms at the top of the draft, it's extremely valuable. And that's almost organizationally, that's just completely changes the dynamic. But there's also the catastrophic effect of if, you know, and hitters don't right. usually have that catastrophic drop off of like you know at least you know what you're getting and it might not be a complete organization changer we've seen that with trout but they're more likely to reach their floor at least
1: yeah just because the the injury threshold doesn't seem to be as it's just not as risky right like when you talk about pitching, it's so risky and it's so easy for things to go wrong for pitchers um but let's talk about real quick those three guys and, and those top three teams take signing bonuses out of it and just kind of more of a fun exercise. If, if you could be the, the MLB dictator, um, who would you put on each of those three teams and why?
0: Yeah, I think that the one thing that would make this easier is Paul Skeen's to the Nationals, right? Their ability to develop big right-handed starters, power arms over the history has just been surefire. It's Mike Rizzo's niche. He's drafted even really, I mean, Paul Skeens doesn't have the injury history, but injury prone, large right-handed starting pitchers. And, you know, the list goes on. It's Lucas Giolito, it's Steven Strasburg. It is all of those guys that they've taken, you know, for, for several years and, develop them into to major leaguers valuable major leaguers so i think that that is a match made in heaven right i think we started to draw that up in february across the industry where it gets tricky is where you go with the other two i think both are are obviously a fit it's position player base so um you know they just have to find themselves a home and, and reach their potential but I think the Pirates need a superstar more than they need a a guy, right? The Pirates could use a superstar face of that franchise. And at this point in time, I think Langford has more potential to be that superstar. I think Dylan Cruz has – some question marks at least from my standpoint not of how hard he hits the ball of where he hits the ball and we've seen that at the big league level and that's an easy fix um that's a guy who gets on time more but a lot of ground balls i've rarely saw him take balls off the ground langford has that little bit of mix and athleticism and when i say this i'm splitting hairs right like when i say that it's one and one A, like in my mind, and and really just because I think Langford showed a little bit more of in-game power this past year and the most recent looks that we've gotten. And that's the difference at this point in time. And, you know, let's get Dylan Cruz with Wood. Let's start to see some more backspawn line drives. And he could be the superstar that the Pirates need. But, you know, in terms of being able to be that dynamic face of the franchise, as it stands today, and Sunday I could feel differently. But I think Langford has like genuine more ceiling because he's less polished, right? He hasn't been a prospect since he was 15. Dylan Cruz was a draft prospect when he was 12. Langford didn't show up until the spring of last year. So you think about dreaming on continuing to add potential. I think there's a lot more to dream on with Langford. He's a little bit more physical, a little bit taller, a little bit more to fill out, whereas Dylan Cruz is one of your short, stocky guys, which not that that's the end of the world. Uh, you can produce a lot of power. I think Ronald Acuna has shown us that. But in terms of projecting outwards, I think there's more room to grow for Langford, which then leaves Cruz with the Tigers, which the Tigers would be thrilled about. Um, and I think if I was the Tigers, I'd be thrilled about. You can't go wrong with any of these three, but those are kind of the matches that I think would be a, perfect fit for all of them
1: it's interesting I wonder if O'Neill Cruz doesn't get hurt if he has if he had elevated himself this year into kind of superstar status because he certainly has the tools and kind of the excitement level of what it makes um, or takes to make a superstar sometimes and then you know would that have changed things but um Let's get into the two top high school players in this draft, right? Max Clark, the outfielder from Indiana, and um, Walker Jenkins, the outfielder from the great state of North Carolina. Uh, kind of what's their profile, and, and it's is it plausible that one of these two is, it feels like it might be Max Clark? I know perfect game threw their mock draft out there, which definitely seemed kind of like a marketing thing that had Max Clark going 1-1. Um, is it is it plausible that one of these two, especially when you talk about the the bonuses, slides into the top three here?
0: One hundred percent. I think Clark would be the more likely guy um, at that point. I think that that I know Perfect Game did it and put it out there, but I've heard from or I've seen and read from some much more trustworthy people that if if it's not. Those two, I think Clark is above Langford in the Pirates' mind at this Hmm. point in time in terms of the route they would want to go. Right, If Cruz is still hard in negotiation at above slot and Skeens, they're just not sold on the pitcher demographic, I think it would be the – Whether it be underslot, I assume it would be underslot at that point for Max Clark. I think he's their guy, more likely to stick up the middle, elite defender, elite speed. You can dream on the power a little bit more. So I think there is a chance that he goes one. I think it just depends on what the Pirates want to do. I think that they could easily get caught up in the, the, obviously, the skeins and the crews, you know, in the hype of that. But I think... We've seen with the Baltimore Orioles that the best route might be to go get that guy for one million under slot and spread that money out throughout the draft and be able to sign a guy in the compensation round where you might not have gotten him if you couldn't offer him an extra five hundred k. And if they could manipulate that with Max Clark, I think that would be a really
1: good draft for them. I wish we would change the the, the setup of the bonus slots and the structure of how it works because I agree, yeah you know like to me when you think about drafting it just adds this element that just muddies the water so much for these organizations and you're ta- you're already talking about you know trying to draft and and project years down the road whereas you know in the NFL guys are coming from college it's pretty straightforward as far as their rookie contracts go and negotiations of those contracts and they're obviously making a quicker impact but to try and play the you know cuz the way it's set up right now to me almost feels like you want to play the underslot game, which is now taking some money out of guys' pockets. And it just, you know, I I would rather just if we could just um clean that structure up for me, just as a fan, um yeah. it, it would almost be more enjoyable. because I personally like I just if I was in the GM chair, like I would want one of those other three. I wouldn't want to take <laughs> one of the high school guys from one. If I'm the yeah. Pirates, like I don't know. Like look, this team showed early on in the season that yes, there's still a ton of like a bunch of pieces away obviously I voiced that I I don't think they're great as the team but you can see something starting there and it's like to go and draft a 17 18 year old and now push that for that you know it's almost like kicking the stone further down the road when potentially you could get a guy like Dylan Cruz and have him up in two years Wyatt Langford same thing shoot Paul Skeens if he's what some people are saying he is he's pitching for you next season and what that can add, and then speed up your timeline. So the structure of that kind of frustrates me a little bit. And then the other thing that I'm, I'm I've noted, and it, it, the trend has really started a couple years ago, but I think this year even more so. Is just if you look around at a lot of, of of these prospect lists and the kind of mock drafts, it's the first round is is pretty much it feels like just all college level players. And so I just real quick, cause we could probably do an entire episode on this, I'm sure. But where do you think, is this something that, that you think organizations are, it's the value of the college player and getting them quicker? Do, or is it more so the trend of the draft is shortened now, there's NIL money to be had at some of these bigger programs. So kids are more incentivized to go to college out of high school. Or is it more so just the fact that Yes, you might have some really high ceilings on these high school kids, but the floors are lower because they are 17, 18 years old.
0: Yeah, so there's – I mean there's a ton of things that it goes into it. If I'm an MLB organization right now and I was running it, I would never take a high school kid unless it was really good looks. And the reason why has nothing because of the shortened draft – Obviously, shortened draft brings in signability. You got to make sure you ink these guys, right? Before, you can't just waste picks. We saw the Orioles drafted Nolan McLean, who's a guy who could get some draft buzz this year. He's a two-way guy at Oklahoma State. They drafted him last year, didn't sign him. They're getting a compensation pick. But it's tough when you don't get your third-round pick, right? Especially for an organization that could use some pitching prospects right now. The Orioles could use him in a year of development at this point in time, especially from a college guy. But it's three extra years of data, true data, right? We're getting day-to-day data in the SEC. We're getting their analytics. We're getting everything. We're getting their heat maps. We're getting their spin rates. We're getting everything to evaluate. Three extra years of physical development, right? Because we've seen guys, right? Peyton Chatagnier just committed to TCU. And I'm not saying he was some great prospect out of high school, but we've seen this with a lot of guys at Ole Miss that go and play up the middle and you dream on their potential. And they don't grow, they don't fill out, they don't get physical. You don't know how they're going to transition from 17 to 21, right? So these guys that have three extra years in the weight room, So that's a big factor for me. Obviously, just understanding looks, right? Seeing how they handle adversity, see how they develop in a system, right? Because in my mind, college systems are good enough to develop any talent, any kid, Max Clarks, Walker Jenkins, um, you know, Noble Meyer, any of them, right? Any of them get to college. I trust that if they're a first round talent, they're going to develop to be first round talents, barring injury. So what do we see when they get in these resources, they get these places, and do they develop? Do they take that next step or do they not? So again, if I'm an MLB organization and we saw this with the Houston Astros first, I'm having a hard time taking high school players unless I really trust what I'm getting and really trust the looks that I've gotten because there is just not enough data and information for me to go out on a limb and – draft a guy for and sign him for seven eight million when you just don't know you don't know what they're going to be coming sure I might have missed the boat on Jackson holiday right who I love and and obviously we have the data on who's great but again he's a profile that if you know if you're scouting properly you're gonna see that there's more to fill out and you're not going to need the data to back up what you're seeing so it's a balance but I think as it stands right now I would have a hard time really scouting these high school kids without the data to, to at least back up what I see
1: yeah, and I think Jackson the Holiday obviously also has the the extra bump of his his dad being yeah of course uh, you know, a, a really long time big ligger. So you know that there's you know he grew up understanding and knowing what it takes, and and also kind of just has that you know he's been playing baseball forever, and and he was getting taught by his dad who was a, a multi time All Star. And I also think that there are some situations, you know, I agree with you completely. I'm I'm in the same boat as far as like I just would – I would rather have these college kids because, again, it's yeah. easier. Like you said, it's easier to get the data. It's easier to get your eyes on them. You know, it all becomes kind of easier. But there are – we are starting to get some more of the concrete data down at the high school level, which is obviously helping, you know, I think push guys like Matt. I mean, Max Clark has been in front of, you know – trackmans and, and everything like that yeah. for how many years now? I mean we've known Max Clark yeah. for like three years now. A kids 18 years old. Um yeah. so I, I, think I think that even definitely synergy helps. too, right? Like yeah synergy, synergy is a huge for sure. piece of right. of having
0: at the just, and I and live streams are becoming more frequent across high school baseball too and the quality is probably just as good as some division three schools. So right. maybe there is something to be said for it, but just being able to pull up a video of all of like you could pull up Wyatt Langford's worst game and see what right. went wrong right. did he chase was there a bad call like anything that went into play there you can't really do that again for Walker Jenkins and Walker Jenkins might be my favorite player in this class right i think that he has the highest ceiling out of all of them to a certain extent right they're all that whole top 5 has elite all-star level ceiling but you know it's it's interesting
1: no, it is. And, and I think that you're, I mean, you've seen it now again for, I think, I think the last three drafts, I believe I'm, I'm repeating this, this stat, this fact correctly, but the last three drafts have had a record number of college players selected. Mm-hmm. So it just continues to kind of trend in that direction. And I think yeah. multiple things play into it. But to me, you know, the best way to decide on whether or not you want one of these college players is Trev is to get out and see them live. And the best way to do that is SeatGeek. And if you want to go to an MLB game, a minor league game, anywhere you want to get tickets, SeatGeek is there for you. You can go see baseball. And you know what? Maybe you don't want to see baseball. It's the summer. The weather's great. Maybe you want to go to a concert. I saw live music a couple weeks ago. It was a fantastic concert. It was a blast. I got my tickets through SeatGeek. They hooked it up for me. And you can do it, too. You can get $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek using the promo code Ball. At seatgeek.com promo code backside ground ball for $20 off your first purchase. Um, as we move along here, let's get into some of these pitchers. Um, you know, I I I really want to 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 talk about a handful of these guys here, but I want to start first. I know, I think I know your answer here, but to me, I think there's two clear-cut top pitchers in this draft. And I think it's Skeens and I think it's Rhett Lauder from Wake Forest. We saw them pitch against each other um, in that game in Omaha. And what makes it even more, I think, fun to talk about with these two is how they go about it in, in complete different ways, right? Skeens is obviously the the more exciting arm maybe, um, for a lot of people, for most people, because he's 99 to 102, because he has the power stuff. Whereas Rhett Lauder, make no mistake about it. He's throwing the ball only in the mid nineties, but, you know, he's sinking it. And 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 to me, what separates them from anyone else is just is the command is not only that the stuff is there, but the command of, of all their pitches. Because, you know, some of these other names that we'll get into, in my opinion, I don't think they have the command and that's where they get hurt as far as these other two. But um, so are you going to push back on me at all if I say that Skeens and Louder are the, the clear cut top two?
0: No, in terms of scout looks, there's no reason to think otherwise. I think maybe on organizations boards, maybe not. I don't think it's as cut and dry that maybe the, you know, the Rockies could have a different guy, not that I would trust the Rockies with my life, <laughs> but the Rockies could have a different guy in that window, right, of who's number 2 and who's number 1. And the reason for that is organizations actually understanding what they can develop. I mean, going back all the way to 2020 when we had our first draft episode, right, we talked about the Kansas City Royals shouldn't take Ace Lacy because they have no idea how to develop an Ace Lacy. Well, they didn't develop an Ace Lacey and Seattle Mariners, who have done a phenomenal job developing these high variants, high-octane arms that have unique outlier stuff, Ended up taking Emerson Hancock, who probably would have been better off a Royal, right? It's the same thing now. It doesn't change. These guys that – these organizations that know how to develop their – what's going to make them the best, they should be with the – they could have Dolander higher. They could think they could fix this with Dolander. Um, So I think that it's not as cut and dry. But in terms of industry-wise, across the board – what we've seen 100% i think there's a significant drop off not significant in terms of dropping down to the 50s in terms of top prospect but it's those two and then a step below and you could even probably argue it's skeens step below louder, louder. step below and then this group
1: i think it'll be interesting just because you know and maybe it's because we've seen louder at a, at a in a bigger conference for multiple years than we and skeens it's been been almost meteoric right it was the we heard about him we knew and obviously these organizations these scouts have been on paul Skeens for a while but he was he was a two-way guy this was his first time ever just being a pitcher so for me i even think that louder could potentially surprise some people i'm not saying anyone within an organization or a scout as far as you know how good he turns out to be in comparison to Skeens. um And if I can put my my fan hat on, I I really hope Louder doesn't get to the Rockies. Like, I just, I want Louder in a system that's going to develop him. And so I can continue to be a a fanboy for years to come. Um, But then you kind of, if you look at the kind of the next, in my mind, three that really are even in conversation for the top of the draft. and that's Hurston Waldrup out of Florida, Dolander out of Tennessee, and Noble Meyer, who's a high schooler out of Oregon. I believe that's correct. Um, yeah. Where do they kind of, where do those three stack up on on skiing and louder? Because you know, I think there are some people out there in the industry who think Waldrup and, and certainly Dolander could be just as good as those two.
0: Yeah. I think so. I think that it's it depends on what you're looking for, right? We've seen this with the Philadelphia Phillies. The Philadelphia Phillies probably have Noble Meyer as their top guy. They nailed their Micah Bell pick. They nailed their Andrew Painter pick, and they would probably nail a Noble Meyer pick, right? They trust themselves in developing a guy who have projects off as having a 60-grade fastball. It has above-average carry. It's up in the upper 90s. He also throws one of the best breaking balls in the class in a slider. You already have two present pitches that would be across the board. Just as good as any of what these guys throw, and he's younger. High school, you have to worry about obviously the high school arm, maybe not reaching its full potential, or obviously the just the complete picture of pitcher injuries. So I think there's probably some organizations that trust themselves with high school arms, and then there's some organizations that don't want to sniff a kid that's 18. Right, that's very well known across the board. I think the Royals have only drafted one high school pitcher. In a very long time, and it was Zach Granke, and that's how that's how far back we're talking. And maybe that was only in the first round. I could just be making that up off the top of my head, but I'm pretty confident that he's one of the only high school pitchers that they've ever taken. So they might not even sniff Noble Meyer, and they they will have a chance to get Noble Meyer. But the difference is, is one organization might think that Dolander could be fixable, which I agree. I'm on board with that. I think that if you Trust your player development, which each of these organizations should. That you should believe that Dolander's more sophomore year Dolander SEC pitcher of the year Dolander than he is this past year's Dolander. I think nobody was hurt more by the baseballs across college baseball. Um, He let up a ton of home runs. He's a high carry fastball, lose leak over the plate. What's a fly out with wood in double A in you know whatever state he's going to end up in is now a home run. In college baseball, because it's 380 to center at South Carolina and it's a bandbox, right? So, all of those things considered, I'd love to know. You know, I think that getting guys with wood is going to help Dolander more than anybody. And then I'm sure there's an organization out there like maybe the Seattle Mariners who thinks that they can get a guy to get better command. We've seen the Tampa Bay Rays do this with Shane McClanahan um, and turn him into an ace that Hurston Waldrip is their top guy, right? There's nobody that possesses four pitches that do what they do with a mid to upper 90s fastball, a split finger that we've seen across baseball as being one of the most effective pitches. So across the board, I think all of them, like if you told me in a year from now that Waldrip was the best, I wouldn't be surprised. Dolander figured it out. He used to be able to throw into a soda can and looked eerily similar to Jacob deGrom, who was the best pitcher on the planet. Or Noble Meyer comes in, stays healthy, and has an Andrew Painter-like rise where he's 20, 19, 20 years old in spring training, ready to break camp with the, with the starting rotation. I wouldn't be surprised, and that's including Skeens and Louder if any of these three became the best. It's just a matter of them getting the right situation and the right fit for them and the organization that trusts their development. I think the top five of this it's, I mean, they all have ace potential, except maybe Louder. I think Louder is probably the one I would say that doesn't have ace potential. But who knows? He can learn how to command that, that sinker like we talked about with Logan Webb and, and pitch – to a low three r a for a couple years and that's an ace level pitcher so it'll be interesting to see it it, it it's always funner more fun to break these down after when we're like oh the the Kansas City Royals took Hurston Waldrick <laughs> And then we're like, we won't be seeing him for a while. <laughs> but the Philadelphia Phillies got Noble Meyer and we can get excited about that. So it's always a lot better to analyze these organize because that's where I look at drafts. Right. right? I look at drafts through the organizations and like it's fun to look at these players, but I know how important player development is. And if you're putting any of these guys in the wrong hands, Cruz, Langford, Skeens, Jenkins, Clark, any of them across the board. Right. None of them will reach their ceiling if they're not developed properly.
1: And that's just another thing that makes the, the MLB draft so much more unique than, you know, any other sport. You see it, but it's not as, you know, it's not as talked about in other sports, right? Sometimes, you know, you get a quarterback in the wrong system or, or, or a basketball player with the wrong team. But it's because they have to go through all these levels in Major League Baseball and player development is so important in Major League Baseball. It kind of gets magnified and just boosted and talked about. Like you said, I mean, we sat here three years ago and talked about asa lacy and how that would be not good for for the royals and you know that was kind of a slam dunk right it was like almost obvious instantly
0: um, it was instant too he didn't pitch well right away
1: no i know and and yeah and i think part of that you could see coming just because of of his usage and and you know some of the swing and miss he was getting but we don't need to break down asa lacy today um how do you just real quick? How do you rank those three? Because you didn't give a firm answer, really. I, if
0: I again, if I was drafting, it'd probably go Dolan or Waldrip Meyer because I just I trust my like I'm a very big. I try to avoid and everybody that does makes decisions avoids a certain bias. My bias that I try to fight all the time is recency bias. Right. I was I was in on Byron Buxton when nobody was. I was in on Vlad Jr. after his. Bad rookie year in on Wander Franco after this year. Like, if anything, I like guys more when they're at their lowest because we if I'm doing my job, I'm going to see Dolander at his best, especially when he's an adult, mature, healthy, everything that goes into play there. So, Dolander, then Waldrip because four pitches, seen it at the college level. But if I was the Philadelphia Phillies, I trust the Phillies right. with Noble Meyer. I don't know right. who else, Ray's obviously, but the Ray's. It's going to pan out with right. the with the raise. So we don't know, right? We don't know ultimately. But I there are a couple organizations who you could sell me on Noble Meyer being the best fit there, but Dolander's my guy.
1: And then let's talk on let's just touch real quick on a, a handful of arms who are kind of outside of round one just because, you know. Pitching is the, the variance is so high with pitching prospects that you could get a guy that's drafted in the fifth round, be the best pitcher out of this class, you know, if, if two or three of these other guys don't pan out or get hurt or whatever. So Jerome wants Brown, who's interesting for sure out of, out of Oklahoma State stuff wise, Ty Floyd, who potentially made himself a ton of money at LSU after his performance in the College World Series, Brandon Sprout, who's another high stuff guy. From Florida, Sean Sullivan, who had a great year after transferring to Wake Forest, Charlie Soto, who's a high schooler from Florida and, and Kate Cooler, who's the top arm from Campbell coming out um, this year. Kind of real quick, what do you think, you know, their outlook is?
0: Yeah, so I'll start with Watts Brown. I mean, it's stuff, 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 and more stuff, right? But a lot of reliever risk. I think even in college he had reliever risk, right? There's times where arguably kind of similar to Chase Burns with a little bit less limelight that I think people probably thought he would be better in Oklahoma State's bullpen because he hasn't shown the ability to stick as a starter. So I think Again, this is where the the new new school versus old school, the divide across Major League Baseball. These analytics, performance, model based forward organizations might not even want Jerome watts Brown in the top five rounds, right? They might have him pegged as a sixth rounder, or as some organization might just dream up on what they've seen with their eyes, and or a team that thinks they have outlier stuff there might take a shot on him, but he he is not a guy that I I would be selling to get because especially because who these other guys are, right? Ty Floyd looks eerily similar to Spencer Strider. Eerily similar. Fastball slider, 17 punch outs in the college world series, dominant heater, up in the zone, 98 plus. Like this is Spencer Strider. And if you can get him to command it a little bit better, you're talking about a guy who's a big leaguer in relief by the end of the year, stuff wise, two pitches, right? Like, I think if he throws enough strikes, we've seen what he's capable of when he throws strikes. So, you know, I think I would be surprised if a team didn't take a shot on him in the first round, especially if they can get a good deal on him. But it'll be interesting to see. And Sprout's the complete opposite, right? The velo is what shows up. The, the, stuff looks great but it doesn't get the swing and miss that they want right so it's he's more of a contact arm that throws 98 to 100 so what does that profile add at the next level that would be concerning to me then Sean Sullivan's very similar to a Chris Sale type slot where it's a low left handed slot that's going to get fastballs up above your chin. I mean, he pitched 59 innings this year and had 90 strikeouts in the ACC, in a bandbox too. And he pitched very, very well with a high carry fastball in a very, very small park. And that's something to be said. Does he have starter abilities? At what level does his fastball not dominate? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but his vertical approach angle and the things that we look for in, in starters right now, similar to Ty Floyd and the fact that he has this unicorn fastball, I could definitely see a team taking a shot on him as well. I think that's the biggest thing is you see these guys and Cade Kuehler is the same thing. Cade Kuehler actually has the most elite in terms of analytic profiles, fastball across the board in terms of release height, in terms of induced vertical break in terms of uh, vertical approach angle. Cade Cooler's the top guy. Ty Floyd, Sean Sullivan, all of them included, it's Cade Cooler's the top. He's 98 to 100 when he's good. It's the other stuff, right? Does he command his split? Can he get that in the strike zone? Uh, Is is Competition-wise, how much do you value pitching in the Big South compared to what Ty Floyd's done in the SEC, right? Is a 2-3 in the Big South the same as a 4-5 in the SEC? So all of these things that have to be factored into the decision, how much do you like his off-speed stuff? I tend to like Ty Floyd's off-speed stuff better But Cade Cooler throws a nasty split finger off of a high carry fastball. That works. That works in the big leagues today. That works, you know, if it if he can command it and throw strikes. And then obviously Charlie Soto, high school guy. The fastball profile, very similar to Spro. It looks great. 99. He'd probably be, you know, a top round pick, top 10 pick if it was a couple years ago. Because you see the 99 and you see the radar gun light up. Ton of just stuff right off that. But it plays more in the 92 to 94 range because it doesn't have carry. It's more of a dead zone heater. That's something he's going to have to fix. We saw Hunter Green fix it. Right? Hunter Green had a dead zone heater for a while. He's got a great heater now. Can Charlie Soto make that adjustment? It's it's up to be seen. I don't know. I can't say for certain. I haven't seen the exact profile on it. But at least with these co- college guys. I, as you could probably tell at this point, I like guys with unique traits, with outlier traits, elite fastballs, elite off-speed pitches, or, like Rhett Louder, elite ability to command the pitches that you throw.
1: Well, I think when you're talking about guys outside of the first round, I think it's important to look at and find one thing that they do that – you know, sets themselves apart, right? That's kind of away from as far away from average as possible, whether it's someone throwing a freaky sinker, whether it's someone with a, a ridiculous secondary pitch or a fastball that has a ton of that induced vertical break that you're talking about, and then take that chance them and then hope you can develop them, right? Get them for a little bit cheaper than you're taking some of these other arms in the first round and then, and then hope to develop them. And like you said, you know, if, if Ty Floyd, for example, it turns out to be Spencer Strider, right? Just like Spencer Strider, who turned out to be a steal out of Clemson for the Braves. What did he have? Spencer Strider has one elite, had one elite pitch, had something that set himself apart, right? He's a smaller guy with elite extension and a ton of vertical break on his fastball, uh, a fastball that we've talked about on here before in previous episodes. So if you can, if you can find one of those guys, and that's to me where you find the most value in pitchers in the draft, right? Is when you find these guys who have one thing, and then you know hoping that they mature and as they get older and into the further into their 20s you know they can understand how to command it and you can develop a secondary pitch to pair with it and then also the understanding of how to get outs at the next level because yeah. that's a big thing that you know you have to kind of that's like the first step of when these guys get into these organizations is now learning how to get these hitters out where you know <laughs> there's no really glove first guys and something you know these everybody that you're going to face in these lineups there isn't a seventh a seven-hole hitter who's a freshman, you know, in the SEC. Who's don't get me wrong, a really good player, but he's not, you know, the the twenty-two-year-old, you know, Latin shortstop who hits seventh in in Double A for or Single A for one of these teams who can really swing the bat. Like you, that guy's going to take you deep. Like he's going to feast if yeah. you don't understand how to get out. Um, Seven hitter, like
0: three hitters in the SEC are bench players in A ball. Like, and it's not an exact science. Like, doesn't always equate to that, but. There's guys on the bench in A-ball that were top five round picks that were played in the SEC and played every day and were all conference guys that don't sniff double A, that don't get at bats, right? right? Pinch hitters are elite college players. So you have to be able to navigate lineups with something unique, right? It's not just pinpoint command always. Those guys can take advantage of that. There has to be outlier stuff because every level that you step up, those holes in lineups that you see become harder, and they're like, imagine what a nine hitter in the in the Triple A would be in the SEC right now. Right, unbelievable. It would be You're unbelievable. Two, three, four so it's, a, it's a huge step.
1: Yeah, it's a huge step. <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, probably the most loaded position in this draft, and that's outfield. I mean, we've talked already the four guys who could potentially go top five, and in, in Clark, Cruz, Jenkins, and Langford, and then you have another group of outfielders who are kind of all unique and, and could go anywhere in the first round, uh, honestly. And it, I feel like it's kind of one of those things, on. it's going to be kind of up to the organizations on how they value these guys and some of their different skill sets. And Enrique, Enrique Bradfield from Vanderbilt, um, Chase Davis from Arizona, uh, Bryce Eldridge, who's a, a first base uh, outfield and a pitcher from Virginia – uh, Jack Hurley from Virginia Tech, Dylan Head, who's a high schooler from Illinois, and then Jake Geloff, who had an unbelievable career at uh, Virginia. Uh, he was, you know, he played some infield there, but I think he also profiles as an outfielder. So you have kind of this loaded position group, and it'll be interesting. Uh, let's start with those first four guys. I know we talked about them a little bit in the beginning, but real quick, kind of, you know, I know Cruz and Langford we kind of talked about, but like, let's talk a little bit about more about Walker Jenkins and kind of how he fits with those other four.
0: Yeah, I think that I have him ahead of Max Clark in terms of what I like because impact in the bat is something that is a translatable skill, right? You can't – we talked about it with guys' development physically. Sure, Max Clark's floor of being an elite defender, elite speed guy – those guys are cute until they can't get the ball, you know, deep enough to to put one out or over an outfielder's head. Now I'm not saying Max Clark won't Max Clark could easily develop into more power, but Walker Jenkins gives me more of like he's physical. He's presently physical. He can he can kind of go out like very similar combo of Bobby Witt Jr. from the left side in terms of present power, present speed. You just it's very easy to to drool and dream on what his skill set offers. So sure, he might be a corner outfielder, whereas Max Clark might be a center fielder. Splitting hairs there for those guys, but it's just a lot easier to believe in a guy who's shown impact, shown more consistently. I love his swing. They're both left-handed hitters, so it's easy to dream on. Everybody loves a beautiful left-handed swing, but as it stands, Walker Jenkins has a really nice swing that I think is going to play, and it'll. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him – kind of just dominate right away, you know, and play really well. And, and we'll be able to, to see right away, but you know, it's always risky with those. I mean, Drew Jones was a guy everybody was in love with and, and he struggled uh, right away because the transition's very hard, but Walker Jenkins is a guy that I think he's up there. I mean, with Langford and Cruz and, and again, all of these guys I think would go number one overall probably next year. Um, and I know we get caught up in the draft hype each year, but I do think these guys are all legitimate talents that are have all-star ceilings
1: and then and then what's your kind of opinion on that that second group of guys that i know i listed like seven names there but i think it's interesting because i think you look at a lot of these guys and they all kind of have differing skill sets so yeah kind of what's your what's your read on where some of these guys fall because i think most of them are going to fall throughout the first round
0: Yeah. So, I mean, Head and and Bradfield are very similar. Obviously, without the college demographic that Bradfield has, they're both 80 grade runners and and you kind of have a question mark of the impact. right? I just talked about that with my reason for favoring Jenkins compared to Clark is the impact. Are we going to see Bradfield get to his power? Is he a guy who should be getting to his power? I don't think so. But there's also an element of you have to be able to hit the ball hard enough at least to get by the shortstop, right? To get past the the outfielder for you to get in the scoring position for things like that. You have to get on first base. You can't steal first, right? That's a, what we've heard about guys with speed and heads. A great runner with high school. You know, if I'm heads, a guy I'd like to see develop in college because he's a freak athlete. He's a very athletic kid. Um, just see the power grow a little bit. And Bradfield's a guy whose floor is elite defender, gold glove caliber center fielder as it stands right now. Probably with the new rules, looks a lot like Asturio Ruiz. He could probably steal 30, 40, 50 bags right now. But can he hit? Can he get on first base consistently enough to steal 30, 40 bags? So obviously those guys are unique. Organizations are going to fall in love with them. They're They're probably out there that – have Bradfield in the top 10 and have head in the top 20 there's probably some organizations that have Bradfield outside the top 30 um, so it'll be interesting to see where they fall and and what developmental teams they fall into Chase Davis is obviously interesting I think the public like the Joe Schmo on Twitter like you know we, we yep. see to seem to see thinks he should be top five. Like because of the legitimately, swing. just the because calm. of the swing, the production, I mean, he was absolutely fantastic at Arizona this year. And it was progress, right? We talk about develop not development not being linear. His, he cut his swing and miss in half, right? And is that something that we value? Can we put that into play? Or do we believe that when he gets to the next level, it's going to creep up again? I don't know the answer to that um, because we don't, We don't have a crystal ball. We can't look into the future. So do we fall in love with him? You'll see the Cincinnati Reds. I could see them taking a shot on him because their whole model is based around. Let's take the most talented kids and the most talented players and see who pans out. We've seen it with De La Cruz. We've seen it with Matt McLean. We've seen it with all these guys that we've seen with Austin Hendricks, right? Austin Hendricks was a guy very, very similar to Chase Davis. He has not panned out by any stretch of the imagination. But Ellie De La Cruz has obviously reached his ceiling, and he was a, a skinny 140-pound, six foot three kid that developed into a mutant, right? So, can you be able to develop these tools? They're sh- they're taking flyers, right? And they hope that some of them hit because when they do hit, they're elite MLB talents. So Chase Davis kind of falls into that field. Bryce Eldridge, obviously, I, I lean towards wanting him as a hitter. That's just because I would rather have a hitter any time of the week during, over in comparison to a pitcher. He's a legitimate first-round talent right now as a hitter. Pitching's kind of on that fringes. Do I let him do both? No, probably not. I'm not <laughs> a fan of letting guys do both unless you're Shohei Otani and have done it at the professional level. So that's an interesting kind of thought. And obviously, Jake Gelov's a complete opposite of that, right? He, all he's done is hit. Does he have a position? The Astros, when they first started with their whole model thing, that's what they loved, production with no position. Production with no position, that's what they targeted. And Jake Gelov is the all-time leading home run guy at, at Virginia, and he'll probably hit at the next level. But where is he going to settle in at home? Is he going to be a below-average defender? All of those factors that come into play will be interesting to see unfold. So he'll be a guy that I'll be interested to follow. And then obviously Jack Hurley, huge ceiling. Ton of potential. Uh, we saw Gavin Stone get drafted last year, um, obviously, with the Kansas City Royals from Virginia Tech. Jack Hurley, similar in the profile, similar in the skill set. Somebody's got to fall in love with him. Uh, We had Tyson on here. He talked about how just impressive his BP was. um, Impressive of a player he was. He's a freak athlete. Um, He just kind of has a little bit of a mix of both, right? Where he's a freak athlete, but he's not the ceiling of Chase Davis. He's not the ceiling of those guys. He kind of settles more into that, you know, just really good player with a pretty high ceiling. So you could see him developing
1: at the next level. And is it, when you talk about these guys and, and kind of where you, you know, it, it all depends again on who's who's in the slot, right? Where they end up typically is is who's drafting. And you're talking about Bradfield and the head and their profile. And then you kind of look at the order of the draft and you see the Marlins sitting there at 10 and the Diamondbacks sitting there at 12. And we know what yeah. the Marlins, I mean, right. The Marlins, Jazz Chisholm, Luis Wright, like Marlins like guys who, who put the ball in play and can, can be athletic. And Arizona, I mean, if you look at Arizona's outfit, I don't know if they need another one, but a, a, an athletic fast outfielder is kind of what the Diamondbacks have have turned into a first-place yep. team in the NL West, right? Like you look at just – there's like six of them, and there was more than that. They got rid of Dylan Varsho, and they still have Alec Thomas and Paven Smith and, and uh, Corbin Carroll and uh, Jake McCarthy. So that's kind of interesting. Um, but speaking of fits in these players, Trevor, you know what fits they would look good in? Routine Baseball. Uh, We're super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball for all of your baseball baseball and athletic leisure needs. Routine Baseball offers a ton of options from shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any other style you can imagine. Uh, You can get 10% off if you go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball. You can check out what they have. Get your order today. As I always say on here, I constantly rock my routine baseball stuff, whether it's my shorts, which are the most comfortable shorts in the world, hats, uh, short sleeve hoodie options. I love the look of them. I love the feel of them. Uh, They're awesome. So everybody should get out there and go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball. Get 10% off your order today. All right. As we continue to move through this here, let's get into the Infield, because I think infield's a little bit interesting this year, especially when you talk about shortstops, right? When you talk about drafting infielders, you know, excluding kind of the corner first baseman, um, people want to want to draft shortstops, right? They're guys who can move. um, They don't have to stay there forever. uh, And they can typically adjust to another position because they're usually the best athletes in amateur baseball on the field, play that position. And you have a you have an interesting one um and Jacob Wilson is the first guy that I kind of want to talk about you know and some of his batted ball stuff is a little bit concerning he's obviously an elite defender but he played at a small school in Grand Canyon could he potentially sneak into the top 10 I mean this is something that before the college season started I think we were seeing him mocked in the top five at times um and then he had a little bit of a disappointing college season so kind of where are you at with Jacob Wilson and and kind of what you think he could he could turn into he's not my type of guy just period the end
0: he's not a guy that i would trust myself to develop and to be his best potential and the reason for that is just that impact alone i feel like for a high school guy that maybe showed the bat to the elite where i mean we're talking about the best like he swung and missed like six times for the first month of the season maybe even more i mean you're talking about a guy who struck out less than 10 on the season. So like elite bat to ball. And and there was a point in time where, you know, there is a part of me that does believe the best power hitters, the best power hitters to develop are the ones with the best bat to ball skills because they start to grow into that. But you're talking about a guy who's 21 years old. He's already been in college baseball. He's already been in the college weight program. At what point do we start to believe that there might not be a development for him? So, He's again. He's not my type of guy. He's not a guy I would take a shot on. I would rather have the high ceiling of some of these other middle infielders, even a guy that might not play as good of defense, but high floor of a really good player. Right. We we heard about Brooks Lee a lot last year. Like Brooks Lee with less power, doesn't switch hit. Right. Like Brooks Lee is obviously a guy with a little bit more thump. Big league bloodlines. Coach's kid. Kind of similar. Right. Jacob Wilson's dad coached at Grand Canyon. Played in the big leagues. There's a lot of hype around him. But can you teach impact with Wood? If you're worried about his batted ball profile, I think I saw 84 average exit velocity with metal. What's that going to be with Wood? Not something I can trust. And that's just something that I don't believe a 21-year-old can add the strength to to overcome. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And and typically to me, like if there's one place where you can draft defensive loan in in baseball, it's me, it's a lot of the time shortstop. Now, obviously you could argue catcher, but for shortstops, just because typically there's so many of them that can transition to other spots and we see how devastating it is and can be for your big league roster. If you don't have a good defensive shortstop, you know, it's the most important position on the field outside of of pitcher. And so if you don't have a good defensive shortstop, it can really, you know, it can really hurt you and and come back to bite you. So sometimes you get away with it. But like you said, if you're swinging a metal bat and your average exit velocity is 84 and you've played three years of college baseball, there's concern there. We're not talking about a 17 year old high school kid. This is a 20, 21 year old. He started his maturation process and to be kind of that far behind, there's, you know, that's a red flag, right? That I think you would be concerned about as an organization. Um, Let's talk about two high school kids real quick. Kevin McGonagall out of, out of uh, Pennsylvania and Colin Hawk out of Georgia. Um, some of the stuff that I've read seems to be that that people kind of view them the same. I don't know if they profile the same, but is there one over the other here in your eyes?
0: Well, I've seen McGonagall play a couple times. Right. And so – Obviously, it's one of the the few guys that I could say that I legitimately got eyes on, and he is very similar to Jacob Wilson, not that elite of bat-to-ball. But bat to ball first, centric hitter with a little bit more growth, right? And we talk about these guys that can add power. He's a short, stocky kid, so he's gonna have to learn to, you know, pull the ball in the air consistently, not be able to try to go big fly the oppo way, because um, he might not possess the strength to do that, similar to the Jose Altuves and Alex Bregmans of the world. But he's a guy that can flat out hit, and he's hit at every level. He's hit through high school. He's hit on the travel circuit. He's hit with wood. He's hit at um, PG National. He's hit everywhere he's been. So there's no reason to think that he won't continue to hit, and you hope that he continues to grow. Just the power doesn't flash right now. He probably fits in the mold of a second baseman. He's not necessarily going to stick at shortstop because of his speed, because of those things, and assuming he adds strength, adds power, you're probably going to see a decrease in that speed, Um, but if he can hit at the next level, he's the guy that you fall in love with. Like If I'm going to take a shot on a bat-to-ball first guy, I'm taking a shot on on Kevin McGonigal before I'm taking a shot on Jacob Wilson because we can believe that he's going to add that muscle, add that mass. Colin Howe a little bit different. You're talking about a quarterback recruit who finally chose baseball, so that's always something you can dream on as well. When he focuses on baseball, imagine what he's going to be. Future projection power at 60 grade. so plus he's a little bit more power over hit as it stands, but the hit tool's not as far behind. A lot of people say he looks looks similar to Evan Longoria, so probably more of your corner infield bat potential, um, but it's very something, to, something very promising to dream on, and obviously can be a really good player. And obviously, Arjun Namula, too, uh, high school shortstop, I think he's the most interesting, probably player in this draft. Um, and I know I butchered his name. You're talking about a guy who played cricket, played cricket right. growing up. And now he's transitioning to baseball. So the hit is way behind these guys (laughs) like Kevin McGonigal. So if you're a team that values hit and production on the travel circuit, you're probably not getting it. But you're talking about physical athlete comparisons to Carlos Correa, Alfonso Soriano. Like these guys that you – MVP potential, right? If the power continues to grow, he continues to fill out. He's a freak athlete he's probably getting the most helium as it stands because he's the most exciting out of all of them. And you can dream on the physical gifted tools and be able to think that if we put him in a position to be successful – that he's going to develop and be the player that he's going to be, but he's got to develop and he's got to be in the right hands to do it. So those three guys are all super impressive. They're probably all going to be really good at the next level um, and being able to kind of get a little bit of each from all of them, right? You're talking about Houck, who's more power over hit as it stands right now, but a little mix in both. N- Namala, who is obviously all potential, and then McGonigal, who's hit over power. It gives organizations you prefer hit over power – Go take McGonagall. You prefer a little bit of m- mix of both. You got Houck right there waiting for you. You prefer the shortstop, the athletic freak that you think is going to develop. Well, you got Namala right there as well. So it's a, it's a really good crop right there between those three.
1: It's so funny because Namola is only 17 too. And like you said, he hasn't been playing baseball uh, his whole life.
0: There's, and, it's- and that fits into a lot of people's models of being just green light. Like you want the Which- youth because you still have more physical development.
1: Well, it's so funny to me because I feel like in baseball, every year these guys pop up, right, who pop up late and get all of this helium because there's so much unknown. And in baseball, like in any other sport, that would be ridiculous, right? Like you would be like, well, we don't have enough on him. Like could you imagine drafting a quarterback who would only been playing football for two years and like you didn't really know that much because you didn't have that much on him. And like, But he could really develop because we don't know that much, so maybe he can. But in baseball, because we have, you know, the minor league system, it's like, for some reason, it's like, well, we don't know that much. and He hasn't been playing the sport for that long. So maybe he could be the best player of all time. And to me, that's what's like, that's, I don't know. I just wouldn't want to operate that way because, you know, like you talking about preferring college guys over high school guys, like the more data and the more information mm-hmm. you can have, it's a sure bet. Um, but that's why we got 20 rounds. So if you can get them yeah. late and get them under slot, you take a shot. Um some other infielders here. Uh, the, the first one I want to talk about, to me, I don't know if, if this is true. I have in my, my notes for the rundown that he might be the best pure hitter in the draft. He might just be my favorite hitter in the draft. It would probably be the uh, the proper uh, statement to say there. Braden Taylor, um, out of TCU, who we talked about with Jamie, I, like. Can he threaten the top 10? Because to me, his bat, when I watch him, to me looks like a guy who potentially should threaten the top 10. He's also a good defensive third baseman. And, and you know, we saw him on the big stage just – he didn't look phased. He was huge for TCU in, in, in that run to Omaha.
0: Yeah, I think he could push the top 10, no doubt about it. I think that's something that you're talking about a top 15 guy, probably consensus across the board. Obviously, you power – Power is the name of the game right now, but for organizations that trust hit tools, with he shows average power as it stands right now. And I'm sure there's more to grow into. That's more game power. But if, if a team prefers him over Jacob Gonzalez, because they're very similar, Jacob Gonzalez is more likely to stick at shortstop. But you probably trust the hit tool for Braden Taylor a little bit more. Obviously it's just about, you know, nitpicking at that point. But he's a guy that I think that if a team falls in love with the hit, right, college hitters, we see it. We're gonna see them start falling off the board, and you're gonna see these high school names fall down the board, and then they're gonna start to be popped in the compensation and second round for overslot deals. That's what you're gonna see happen. So Braden Taylor in that eight to ten window wouldn't be shocked at all because he's a college bat with a track record and you can definitely, you see potential in the hit tool and you could definitely see the power growing into more.
1: Yeah. And I just think when you watch Braden Taylor, um, which to me is something that's so important and I think really can translate to all levels is just how in control he seems at the plate and how well he seems to know the strike zone. And I've said it a million times, like some of the guys that I love the most and at the big league level, especially the ones who use walks as a parachute, because it's really hard to consistently put the ball in playing and get on base. Like if you're able to walk, to supplement some of that, like it's, it's a parachute. And and that's something that he does really well. He doesn't chase. And if he can continue to do that, no, obviously he's going to see better stuff, but a lot of times that, that translates from amateur levels to, to, um, you know, the professional level and, and same thing with free swingers. Um Another guy here is, is Matt Shaw, uh, who had an unbelievable career at Maryland, right? He's, he, he had 22 homers uh, in a season. He stole, I think 150 bases in his career there. He was the Cape Cod player of the year last summer. What do you kind of see for, for Matt Shaw and, and, and where he might potentially go in, in maybe the first round Sunday?
0: Yeah, I think that top 10, 10- Top 15 probably is where you're looking at because again, I feel like I've said this till I'm blue in the face, but model heavy organizations that value performance, he's going to be just a lightning rod there. Like you're talking about a guy who has performed consistently every year. He shows power. He shows speed. He's hit for average. Yeah, he's done it in a small park. Whatever. You need to see the batted ball profiles to understand that better. He's the Cape Cod Player of the Year. A la Nick Gonzalez, who went in the top five from New Mexico State, right? From right. not even a big school like Maryland who was competing in the NCAA tournament. So Matt Shaw definitely, I mean, you're talking about above average hit, above average power, maybe not the ability. Like he's maxed out, right? right. So that's that's where you question. What can we get out of him? Can we get him to pull the ball more? Can we, you know, is he gonna carry that power with Wood? Does it become average power with Wood? But that's what your Cape Cod information and your Cape Cod data is for, is being able to have that information with Wood. Do you trust the hit tool enough at second base and third base? Because he's most likely moving off a shortstop. He wasn't supposed to be a shortstop in college. But he was a shortstop, so can he outperform that? But he's most likely a second baseman at the next level. Does his bat play there as much? Does he, does he carry as many tools as a second baseman or a third baseman? But in terms of performance, there's no question marks there. If you did blind resume, he'd probably be a top seven pick. Um, but profile-wise, physically-wise, there's definitely some question marks there.
1: Yeah, it's it's so – there's so many guys in this draft that – especially at the college level that just did so much damage and and I I mean this – again, this can be another conversation but like you wonder like so many of these offensive numbers are inflated and like how – what do you have to rely on to be able to – you know, you really have to trust your scouting and your evaluation to understand like – this guy over this guy, you know what I mean? When you look at even Shaw and Braden Taylor, it's like, well, balls were a little juiced, you know, Shaw was playing in, in like you said, a smaller park and it's tough. And then these next three guys here, I mean, Tommy, Troy, Brock, Wilkin, Johanny Browns, who had just absolutely outrageous offensive numbers this year. Right. And, and you look at Wilkin and Morales too, like, could these be the two, you know, best power hitters that we see in the draft? How did these three kind of fit with the, you know, the Taylors and the Shawls who we, we are saying top 10 potential? Yeah, you
0: you said Brock Wilkin, and that's Brady's favorite player, so he wanted to make it known (laughs) that I should talk positively of him. But Brock Wilkin's an interesting – I'll start with him because there's some question marks, and I think we saw it against Ty Floyd and Paul Skeens about bat speed, right? And bat speed's a big concern when you're facing premium velocity on the day-to-day. daily. So it'll be interesting to see how that skill set translates – Can you get him on a weighted bat program? We saw Mookie Betts talk about it. The Dodgers pretty much sent their whole lineup, J.D. Martinez included, and he's gone bonkers this year, to drive line to train bat speed. So is that something Brock Wilkin? But as he's shown right now, he's the ACC home run leader on a career and single season. Yes, the balls were juiced. Yes, Wake Forest is basically Winston-Salem Airport on any given day, (laughs) but he showed – the ability to hit for power, he can get to the pool side. he shows loft, all the things. So he's a 60-grade power potential, but can he get to the high here? Can he get to that consistently? The hit tool is obviously a little bit behind. Tommy Troy is a guy who did it on the Pac-12. When you look at actually average power across the board in terms of conferences, there's no conference that kills power more in the Power 5, right? We're talking about the big boys here, than the Pac-12. All right, so Tommy Troy's ability to do it at Stanford, which is not a bandbox, right? it's a tough hitter's environment. Playing in the cold weather in Northern California early in the year, going up to Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, going up to those parts and showing power, it's easy to think about the fact that, oh, when he gets in a warm weather environment, when he gets into professional baseball, that skill set's going to translate and continue. Yohani Morales is the guy that I think a lot of people love the most. He's probably got a little bit Tick better of a hit tool than Brock Wilkin with the same amount of power. Does he get to it consistently enough? I'm I. He, from what I've heard, the Mets are like dreaming on the opportunity of potentially getting Yohani Morales because he fits a huge of what they look for. Uh, they did it similarly with Kevin Parada, obviously Francisco Alvarez. Both those guys are obviously catchers. But Yohani Morales obviously could be a third baseman of that similar ilk. Um but he's also very similar to Kobe Mayo, who we've seen right skyrocket up the Orioles' farm system this year. Stud of a player. Um, so, Johanny Morales is probably the most fun. Tommy Troys the safest, and Brock Wilkins we've seen the production. So, each of those have their own unique. Johanny Morales to me looks like a future. Well, future, sorry, current big leaguer. He looks like a big leaguer today. The tools, the physical abilities, the bat speed shows up. He he performed against Florida, who had the highest velocity starting pitchers across the board. So he showed the ability to turn on Brandon a 100-mile-per-hour sinker, obviously faced Hurston Waldrop there. Tommy Troy's the safest pick, uh, most likely to to perform in my mind. The hit tool's probably the best. And Brock Wilkin, as much as I want to love up on him and and give him credit, there's definitely... the lasting image that we have of Brock Wilkin is him getting blown up by good fastballs. That's going to take an adjustment and there's definitely going to be need to be um, an improvement there for him to consistently hit at the next level.
1: Don't fall into recency bias. That'll be my only defense of Brock Wilkin. I think that part of his struggles too, At that, it, my only point, I'm just messing with you. My only point is in Omaha, I think he was just, he just kind of hit a little pressing. bit of a slump because we yeah, and, and he was right pressing. we saw him against Alabama. I mean, we saw him in that super go off, and yes, he was pressing because to me one of the biggest things that, if anything, was concerning about Wilkin and the bat speed is a little bit of concern was just almost swing decision, right? Like yeah. he went into those bats and you could fifty fifty, yep, fifty fifty the entire tournament, um, which is yeah,
0: and I think it is concerning certain, at times, even to a certain extent. Bat speed's overrated in my opinion too, yeah. because all of these guys that can get to power have bat speed, right? So it's a it's the ability to have an approach to understand what your skill set is, right? right? So if you're a guy who doesn't have the bat speed to to let the ball travel and get deep and stay right center and all these because Brock Wilkin knows how to pull a baseball, so he knows how to hold his posture. Maybe it's just him switching his mindset to I'm on the heater, I'm okay hitting 230 and hitting 30 homers, and I'm just going to get to the pool side with the heater. So that can compensate, compensate for lack of bat speed. Bat speed doesn't have a direct correlation to success because you have to hit the ball still. You have to hit the ball in the air. It has to have loft. It has to have carry. All these things that come into play, it's not just a ball sitting on a tee like a golf club. Right, where you could generate the club speed through the roof and now Brady's pissed because I'm talking bad about Brock Wilkin <laughs> and his favorite player. But you could if you're not barreling it up flush, it doesn't go as far. And it's the same thing in baseball. You have to know yourself, you can compensate for lack of bat speed if you can get the barrel to the ball consistently.
1: Yeah, and think, I mean, that's a that's a fantastic point because if you think about one of the the, the of in our generation the most elite bat speed guys in the world is bryce harper and right now he's not elevating the baseball and he hasn't hit a home run and this is the longest stretch of his career right so so many things factor into it outside of just bat speed but looking at bat speed as a a tool in the toolbox is still kind of important and it's a good thing to have because generate bat speed a lot of times you can generate hard contact if you can get to it um Lastly here, let's go to the, 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 the thinnest position in the draft, um, as it seems, is catcher. kind of trying to search around and find anyone outside of Kyle Teal that's exciting. I mean, you got a couple high schoolers in um, Blake Mitchell out of Texas and, and Rafi Velasquez out of California. And then also, I guess, kind of Jared Dickey. But I mean, depending on who you are and, and what you believe in him, I'm sure Trevor has Jared Dickey in the top five as a diehard Tennessee volunteer fan. But let's start with Teal. I saw Teal in one mock mocked in the top five. He was unbelievable in the backbone of, of that team, and I, I, I he had a, a tremendous college career. But it kind of feels like a little bit of a stretch to go top five with him.
0: Catcher, catcher shown power. I mean, look at what look at what um, Sean Murphy's been, right? right? Like catcher with power. It's like very easy to dream up on the ability. He's improved defensively through the course of the years. It's just a profile that will never have. We live in a fantasy microwave environment. Catchers will never have the – unless you turn into Buster Posey or Joe Mauer, you're probably not going to live up to your draft potential. Unless you were taken in the first round or if you were taken in the first round. If you're outside the first round, JT RealMoto – He's the best player ever, right? Because right. he was taken in the third round. So that's something to always consider. Um, I mean, look at look at Patrick Bailey. I know I botched it up on an episode a couple of weeks ago where I said Joey Bart looked good. Now it was Patrick a, Bailey. Patrick Bailey looked, has looked really good, and and I switched those two up because they kind of go hand in hand as both top five picks for the Giants. But Patrick Bailey's been great, but he's still not elite because you take him in the top five, ten picks, first round, and you expect these guys to light up the minor leagues henry davis struggled year two he's been great this year he's starting to show more power but they will never put up the numbers that are equivalent to what you imagine when you take a guy in the top 10 so in terms of what you're getting out of kyle teal can he hit for power at the next level can he play as good defensively those are kind of the things you look for and does that warrant a top 10 pick I don't know. I think if I'm an MLB organization, I'm going to Venezuela to get my catcher because they breed them down there now. Ooh. I'm not really worrying about what what the, what what they're doing here in the States, because whatever they're doing down there is working. I mean, you just see it. it's a factory right now. Um, and that's well known across the industry. That's not something that I'm pulling out of left field. So probably not something that I'm taking in the top 10 when other guys are available. But if you value the catcher position, if you value that production that he's had from that position, sure. I could see him getting picked in the top five and, and especially for an underslot deal, as we circle back big picture to, to everything that we've talked about already of that being a a major factor.
1: I'm going to throw something wild out here. Yes, of course. Does how many more drafts do we have where being a catcher loses its value as it seems like we inch closer and closer to an automated strike zone. You know, I don't know.
0: I I I think that's something that some organizations view. I think that's I think you see it with the Mets. I think the Mets did a very good job taking Kevin Parada as a right. guy who might not have been able to catch and throw. It was kind of more throw over catch. If you think that bat can play, it completely changes your value of a catcher, right? You're talking about Jared Dickey playing catcher. Like, if Jared Dickey can play catcher, that's a completely different conversation. He right. might not be able to steal your strikes, but if he doesn't have to steal your strikes, well, his value's through the roof because he can hit, right? Then these guys are, you know, just brought in to hit and throw, control the run game and, and hit, and that's that's all you have to do. So, you're probably going to see more third baseman, you're going to see more first baseman, corner outfielders that are going to be trained as catchers in the coming years if robo-umps become a thing. I think the industry across the whole doesn't want to go full robo-ump. I think we want to go challenge system, which is cool. I saw the video was resurfacing a couple of days ago of the challenge system. And it looks great, right? And that's only going to impact what, maybe one challenge an inning, whatever it be. So, the value of the framing is still going to be in play there, but you're definitely going to va- like, like a guy like Blake Mitchell, probably his value goes through the roof, right? Because he's got a he's 97 off the mound, so he can throw. You know, if he's 97 off the mound, you know, he can hit for power because that translates and you know, he can hit. So, those are the three boxes you have to check. And if he can't frame, not not to mention the fact of development and teaching a guy to frame, sure, that's something that we've seen at the college level. But all you have to do is catch and throw and hit, and you're a all star catcher at that point. Then yeah, MLB organizations I, want you.
1: I had this conversation with with someone last night, and we were talking about you know the value of catchers, especially with the draft coming up, and then. Um, the kind of question was kind of posed like how many more years until we just are putting third baseman who can really throw it back there, you know, with the yeah. automated strike zone are coming. And I think you're right with the challenge system, but still even so, even with the challenge system, right. Those elite pitch framers, like guys like well, Martin Maldonado can really throw, but he's a great receiver, right. Guys like that aren't as valuable if you're going to hit 170, right. Like you, yeah. I'd rather have the bat back there and we'll rely on the automated strike zone with the challenge system to kind of get me there. Um, this was an awesome draft draft preview a ton of great content. Do you have anything you want to add as we get closer to the day?
0: No, it's going to completely it's going to hit the fan on Sunday night and like it always does. Um and like I said, I think the more enjoyable part of this is going to be breaking it down post-draft. And seeing where these guys land, if we think it's a good fit, I mean, we'll be able to, you know, whoever the whatever position player the Orioles get, we can already pencil them into our 2024 top 50 prospect list, right? How does that all unfold? Because that's my favorite part about the draft. And you see trends, you can see a draft pick before it happens with these organizations like Skeens to the Nationals. It just makes too much sense. Does that mean it's going to happen? No, not necessarily. the The Pirates have taken their fair share of big right handed pitchers, uh, Mitch Keller's, Garrett Cole's, Jamison Tyons of the world. But it's it's fun to watch these things. It's my favorite part of the draft is is watching these trends unfold and and watching these big leaguers or these big league organizations just stick to their guns and do it. And and you already know that the Dodgers are going to find some great pick, and so will the Tampa Bay Rays.
1: Yep. And you're absolutely right. It is one of the most fun times of the year, just, you know, seeing what these teams do and as a fan knowing, you know, it's always, you can always dream on the guy that your, your team picks. Um, and for all of you who want to follow along, the draft starts Sunday night, July, what is that the ninth at seven o'clock and it ends Tuesday, the 11th. Um, so three days of draft over the all-star break, which is coming up at the end of the weekend. Um, Trevor, I hope you enjoy your vacations um, that you have coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, hopefully, we'll you'll visit us to hop on and, and get a couple episodes out here. No, I'll pack and the microphone, no doubt. Per- perfect. That's all we ask. Um, and thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. Um, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcasts. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. Uh, do not forget to follow us on twitter at backsidegb instagram at backsidegroundballs tiktok at backsidegroundball trevor what's our threads account uh, it's it it's affiliated with the instagram so it's there the same thing so
0: backsidegroundballs
1: they're perfect so threads at backsidegroundballs um and most importantly make sure you are sharing with 5 of your friends until next time we'll see you on the backsidegroundballs podcast Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. With the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know, maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code Ball.